Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We are grateful that you poured grace out to us when we needed it most. So Father, may we never forget the gospel, the beauty of our sins paid for by your son's sacrifice. We bow to no other name than Jesus. Father, teach us this morning from your scriptures. Help us to see into them as we need to. We believe they're as relevant today as the day they were written. Edify us, unify us as a church family. Equip us for the work you want us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can have a seat. Well, I already know you guys are awake because you've been, you've been showing me you are. So that's good. So if you don't know me, I can't remember if I introduced myself earlier. My name's Stephen. I'm the pastor here. Thanks for being here, especially those of you joining us for the first time because of baby dedications or for whatever other reason you're here this morning, which is probably because you're checking out a church. So we're glad you're here as well. We're in a series right now. We're wrapping it up. It's called Next Steps. And in this series, what we've been doing is talking about the next steps that we need to take as a church after laying down a doctrinal foundation of who we are as a church over the summer. We have a statement around here. It's been our statement for five years now. This is God's church. It means it's not mine. It's not the elders. It's not a small groups of uh, people. It's, it's God's church. And another way we say it is we want to be the church that Jesus came to plant. And so over the summer, we laid down what that looked like from a doctrinal perspective. And what we've been doing in this series is then just taking next steps. This is what we need to do. Step number one was prayer and fasting or prayer and some fasting. And so we're in the middle of 21 days of prayer where we're focusing in on prayer every morning and then prayer times on Thursday. Uh, And we have that this Thursday again at the church at noon right here in the auditorium. And then we're taking out a 24-hour period, or we're encouraging you to every week to just fast for 24 hours and focus in, sacrifice on what God has for us. And we've been fasting for specific reasons. And one of them was what we talked about last week, and that was to be forged together as church friends and family. And this week, we talk about one of the other reasons that we were fasting, and that is that we would be effective in training the next generation, and that we would be increasing in our biblical knowledge. And so today, what I want to do is I want to combine those two ideas growing in our biblical knowledge and being effective in training the next generation. Now, I will, though I don't know if I necessarily have to, want to create a compelling case for why these two things are so important in the world that we live in. We're going to look at a passage in 2 Timothy chapter 3 this morning, and we're going to study verses 14 through 17, but verses 12 and 13 actually give us a picture of the context into which Paul was writing this letter to the young pastor, Timothy. And in the two verses preceding our main passages this morning, what Paul says is there were two situations going on in the world. The first was persecution, and the second was deception. Both persecution and deception are aims of the enemy, Satan, to derail our faith. Now, here in America, we don't often face real persecution. 
In fact, to what we're seeing right now happening in Afghanistan, which has served as a reminder to all of us of what happens when evil runs amok. Right? We've just been watching this on the news or wherever you watch or read, uh, and, and I'm sure all of us just disgusted by, by the evil that we're seeing unfold. Some of it intentionally persecuting followers of Christ. And if you have anyone in your network who is in, is in touch at all with like the underground church, you've probably seen pastors uh, in Afghanistan or in other countries around there talking about the persecution they're facing, in particular over the last week. And of course, our prayers are with them. And by the way, some of you have emailed and asked, hey, is there anything we can do? There's a group, Nazarene Fund, that we're going to donate to. Uh, as a church, so on behalf of that, to help alleviate in any way that we can some of what is occurring. We're seeing a picture of persecution. And oftentimes what we see in the physical is just the mirror of the spiritual. And so it's certainly not the same physical persecution versus intellectual deception. But I believe that what we see going on right now from a physical perspective, as far as persecution goes in Afghanistan, is just a picture for us of what deception looks like in our own country. See, in our own country, the war we're facing is a war of truth. It's a deception battle. And the enemy is fighting hard, fighting hard to normalize lies, fighting hard to let deception break in. And there is only two foundations our lives can be built upon. There is not a middle ground. There is the truth, Paul tells us in Romans 1, that what happens is people begin to exchange the truth about God for a lie. And whether it is Christians and churches or just the world in general, we are seeing more than ever people beginning to abandon the truth and choosing the lie. And the truth is that God created, that God does exist, he did create, and that his book, the Bible, as relevant today as the day it was written, is the best way for us to live. That its truths are eternal and infallible and unchanging. That's the truth. The lie then is that God didn't create or that God doesn't exist or that God did maybe create and exist. And uh, this is being cloaked now even as being called Christianity. Yes, God did create, but the Bible can't be trusted anymore. And so whether you throw God out at the beginning or in the middle, it's all still the lie. And when you start on a faulty premise, you will end at a faulty conclusion. So there is a deception battle being waged right now. And in particular, this deception battle is being waged against kids, children. Generation Z, which is our teenagers and into early 20s, and Generation Alpha, which is the kids that we just dedicated and our elementary students are being called the first post-Christian generations in American history. They are already twice as likely to identify as atheists as every previous generation. Already. It is said of Generation Alpha that they are almost incapable of separating their identity from technology. There is a deception war 
being fought right now. And what does the church do in the middle of that? How is the church supposed to respond? The beauty of this passage in 2 Timothy is that persecution and deception are not new. That those have been the tactics of the enemy from the beginning. And Paul writes a hopeful letter to Timothy. He says, this is what you should do. And so church, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to fight back. We find it right in the scriptures. So Paul's writing to Timothy, who's a young pastor, perhaps the first mega church pastor. It was said that the church of Ephesus was very large. And so Paul is writing this letter to this young pastor, and he says this, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. Beautiful language, isn't it? He says, continue in what you have learned. Now, you can't continue in something unless you started in something. And so the first thing, and then he says, uh, continue in what you have learned and remember who you learned it from. He says, you learned it and you now firmly believe it. You firmly believe it. Now, to firmly believe something, you either are one of those people who reads a single article and think you know all of the truth now, which means you don't firmly believe it because then you'll just read another article later and change your mind. To firmly believe something is to be rooted and grounded in it. Here's the way we say it around here. Redemption family ministries exist so that every youth and student or child would know what they believe, why they believe it, and how to defend why they believe what they believe so as to follow Jesus their whole life. That's our statement. And namely, what that is, is the truth that God created, that God gave us this book as the best way to live, and that he sent his son Jesus to rescue us, right? That they would know it, know why they believe it, and know how to defend why they believe what they believe. Why? Oh, that they would love Christ, that they would love Jesus their whole life. So how do we go about doing this? How do we help our kids, our students, and each of us firmly believe, continue to learn, and to firmly believe? Well, first, it starts in the family. It starts in the family. Paul says, remember who you learned it from. He started off this letter in verse 5 of chapter 1 when he said, the faith that was um, instilled inside of you by your mother and your grandmother you know what I love about this passage? Not only is it so intentionally teaching us that it starts in the family, but it's also showing us that the traditional family model doesn't have to be present for kids to be raised up like Jesus. This is a beautiful picture for every single mom, for every single dad, for every blended family, for every divorcee, for every grandparent raising a child. God's grace is in every family. And so he says, remember who you learned it from, your mom and your grandma. And then the implication in it is also, he's saying, you learned it from me. And so it starts in the family, and then it works in partnership with the church. Let's 
Let's be a little honest with ourselves. 30, 40 years ago or so, both families and the church began to shift its priorities. And other things began to take the place, began to take the place of learning scripture, began to take the place of being in church. From a church perspective, 30 years ago or so, by and large, and I was a part of this, by and large, the church started to operate with different priorities and a new model. And what that meant was the training of our children was reserved to 15 minutes and a cute video on Sunday. And guess what? The strategy didn't work. The results are in. It's time to swing the pendulum back. If we don't, not only do I think we'll see similar results, I think we'll see worse because they compound. It starts in the family, though. It starts in the family prioritizing church, prioritizing scripture. Paul says to Timothy, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings from childhood that can actually probably be better translated from infancy. It starts right at the beginning when that little bundle of joy comes home. That it is now up to us parents that this child will know the scriptures, will know the community of the church, will be acquainted not just with the sacred Netflix but also the sacred scriptures. This morning's talk is not against every TV show that is out there. Okay, that every time you turn on Disney, you're sinning. Okay, I watched a lot of Power Rangers growing up. Amen? You mighty morphin. Amen. Right. It is, though, it is a reminder of what is most important. And it starts with us, families. It starts with us. And I want to talk to you this morning about how we can do that together. And then it has to work in partnership with us as a church. Creating an environment, like we say around here, where kids love Jesus, make friends, and have fun or enjoy church. Because the moment they stop enjoying coming, it's a lot harder to teach them. So it's contingent upon all of us, church, to create that environment. Now, what do we do? Well, we see in this text when it says that you continue in what you have learned and you firmly believe how you were acquainted at an early age. We're we're looking to see how Timothy was raised and we know a little bit about the culture of how he would have then been raised. We can then also cross-reference this verse with the verse back in Deuteronomy chapter six. This is a verse that I often read when I'm talking about parenting. It says this, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. In the NLT, it says, talk about them when, you're in a, when you are on the road, when you're at home, when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. Talk about them all the time. Here in the ESV, it says, teach them diligently. Diligently. And so it starts in the family in partnership with the church, but what that then looks like is this, and this is how Timothy would have been raised. First, it takes focus and time. Focus and time. 
As I previously alluded to, that has to mean moving beyond just 15 minutes on Sunday morning. It's not enough. As I've shared before, Lindsay and I are both a product of Sunday morning church and Sunday morning Sunday school and Sunday night church and Wednesday night church and Christian school and a lot of other things and great parents who taught us the Bible. It takes time and it takes focus, teaching them diligently. In anything that we learn, it takes diligent teaching of that thing to properly learn it. If we were to apply this principle to anything else, we would say, oh, we got to do more, we got to do more. But yet what is most important, the trend has been to do less. So time and focus. Now, here's what this means for us. I'm just kind of laying out our, our strategy this morning. In kids' ministry on Sunday morning, what this means is uh, Danae, our family ministers, I can't say that word today, ministries director and her team have put together a three-year rotating curriculum where year one is our eight core doctrines extrapolated into 13 different statements uh, that four weeks per statement. And so over the course of a year, you learn our core eight doctrines. Year two then is what we would call Christian living, breaking down Bible stories and key Bible verses to instill in kids the way, this is how I walk out my Christian faith at the age that I'm in. And then year three is studying and understanding the gospel and the doctrine of the church so that they know that Jesus loves them and then how to engage in the church body. Three years. You come in at the beginning of preschool, you'll rotate through that curriculum uh, almost a full three times before you go on to our youth ministry. That's step one. Step one. But like we've said before, step one, even though great, isn't enough. So we're hopping back to the 90s, y'all. How many of you are excited about that? Come on. Some of y'all haven't left. So you're like, thank you. <laughs> so because it takes time and focus, this is why we have decided as a church that beginning September 15th, we are relaunching Wednesday night church, just like many of us grew up in. And it's time to make Wednesday night church night again. We need it. We need it. You need it, our kids need it. And so starting September 15th, we're gonna open up in a series for our kids called Bible Basics. And they'll be broken down into K through one, two and three, and four and five. And we're gonna build a foundation underneath what they're learning on Sunday mornings. And so in an hour, we're going to begin to teach these kids the basics. And they're going to know that the Bible is a book that was written over 1,600 years by 40 different authors, that there's two sections of it, the Old Testament and the New Testament. There's 66 books. There's 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 books in the New Testament. The Old Testament's broken down into five different sections. The New Testament starts with the story of Jesus and how he came down to rescue us. Ooh. The Old Testament... It was written in Hebrew. The New Testament was written in Greek and Aramaic. It is the inspired word of God. It is eternal. It is unchanging. It is infallible. It is inerrant. And it needs to be taught. It needs to be taught. So we're going to teach them. And by the way, simultaneously, while that's going on, we're going to teach you. And so 
Uh, I'm going to teach the first semester of Wednesday night. It's a doctrine of the Bible, doctrine of the word of God. And I want to walk through why you don't have to believe that clickbait that shows up on your Facebook, uh, that the Bible can't be trusted, or that there are Olympic like gymnastics, like when it comes to scripture, what I'm saying here is you take things and you twist them around to say, no, no, we have to understand this in a modern context. And, and then it means something completely different than how the church has understood it to mean for 2000 years. And you don't have to trust any of that stuff. You don't have to believe any of that stuff. What you can do is believe exactly what you were taught when you were a kid, that it is true and still relevant. And so I'm going to teach that in those first 10 weeks. And we're going to learn our Bibles. We're going to learn our Bibles. So it has to be time and it has to be focused. And we got to have a plan, an intentional plan on how to learn the word of God. Now, the second way that Timothy would have been taught in his culture, in, in that environment, was through memorization. Through memorization. 419 8722241. Two houses I grew up in as a kid, and my three best friends and my grandparents. Why? Because you don't forget things you memorize as a kid. They stick with you. Even after you haven't used them for a long time. They stay with you. And it's time that our kids start memorizing the Bible again. And memorizing the facts of the Bible. So here's how we're going to incorporate memorization into our teaching, both Sunday morning and Wednesday night. But we're also going to do this in a fun way as well. This is called a Bible fact pack. When I told you we were going back to the 90s, I meant it. This is not an app. There's real paper inside of here. <laughs> Hannah, you in here? Stand up. Somebody, number one through 576. 300, thank you, Zach. All right, Hannah, come on up here. Everyone give Hannah a nice round of applause. Me too. No pressure whatsoever. Okay. What is a parable? A parable is a story about familiar teachings that's help, that helps us understand spiritual truths. Word for word. Somebody give me another number. Seven. How many books are in the New Testament? 27. How did Jesus teach his disciples humility at the Last Supper? By washing their feet. What does the Bible tell us about the life of Jesus between the time he was 12 and 30? He obeyed his parents for mentally and physically and learned more about God. Does God treat all people alike? Yes, all people are equal before God. Who was the Jewish girl who became the wife of the king of Persia? Esther. What did Jesus say was necessary that he go away? Why? So that the Holy Spirit might come. Let's get a hard one. Oh, no. <laughs> Ooh, quotation question. That means she has to do it word for word or she gets stoned. Okay. <laughs> Oh, Tom. Why? I'm only going to give you the first two words, too, of the no. question. Why did... Why did God send his son into the world? John 3, 16, 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Boom! All right, there we go. We're done. Yeah. 
You ever wonder why God picked Saul? Seriously, God could have picked anyone to launch his church. Why did he pick Saul? Because when we understand the scriptures and who Saul sat under, which was Gamaliel, who was one of the most respected teachers of his day, and Saul was one of his best students, the reason God picked Saul is because he probably knew the Bible better than any living person on the earth at that time. Let me put this in military terms. Saul was a fighter jet without any gas. And then all of a sudden, the grace of God poured into Saul's heart and the roaring engine went off and planted churches and did miracles, okay? Right now, the way we're raising up our children when it comes to scriptures is we got a bunch of paper airplanes and we're trying to paper cut Satan. Doesn't work. That's not what we need. We need an army of students of Generation Z, of Generation A, who know their scriptures just like Hannah did. And at some point in their life, the grace of God is going to flow in like it did me running around the Olentangy. For those of you who are Michigan fans, yeah, even there, God's grace exploded. And when it did, you know what I already knew? All of this. And if we do it, then over the next five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, there's going to be these moments when God's grace is going to drop into one of our kids and out is going to come a roaring, flying fighter jet. We're building an army around here, people. And some of y'all are like, this is a little too militaristic for me. This is a little too intense for me. Do you not think that the enemy is equally fighting to destroy He is. He is. There's only two foundations, the right one and the wrong one, the truth and the lie, the Bible and the world. And we have an obligation to teach kids the Bible, okay? All right. So memorization. Number three. What's number three? I got too excited. Whole life integration. Whole life integration. This would be the next way he would have learned. Here's the scary thing about whole life integration just means you just start bringing the scriptures into everything, okay? Here's the scary thing about whole life integration. You start doing it, then it starts convicting you. So it gets a little scary. Like, you're like, let's sit down and go through. You pull out a card. It's like, why do Christians not abuse alcohol? I'm like, well, hold on. Cover yours. What is the tithe? Okay, let's rip that one up. You keep going through. Ah, see, here's the thing. Whole life integration can only happen when the scripture is wholly integrated you. And so in this then, not only friends, not only does it help our kids grow up, but it challenges us. It challenges us to evaluate, am I submitting, am I submitting my life to the scriptures and what the Holy Spirit's convicting me? Am I continuing to learn as Timothy did? Let me tell you, if Timothy, pastor of a mega church, needed to continue to learn, you and I probably do too. Keep on learning, keep on learning, keep on learning, keep on submitting. 
to the Spirit. Whole life integration, though, it then begins to look like this. You're having conversation, and something comes up, and you say to your child, no, 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 no. Here's why we don't believe that, because of what's in here. Here's why we handle that this way, because of what's in here. Here's why we're choosing to love and forgive that person, even though they hurt us, because of what's in here. Here's why we don't gossip, because of what's in here. Here's why, son, daughter, when when everyone else is picking on the kid at school, here's why you don't do it, because of what's written in here. Whole life integration then is just taking all the things that we would teach as a parent and bringing scripture into it. And then it deepens in the child. Now, when we do this, let me tell you what's next. It starts in the family and it works in partnership with the church and then it's gotta be intent or intentional through those things that I just mentioned. But third, let me tell you the result. It's effective. Oh, it's effective. Verse 17, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. It's effective. When we do it this way, it's effective. It works It works that they be equipped for every good work. Let me tell you what that means on the positive. On the positive, it means that as our kids learn the scriptures and as they go through life, then they're going to be equipped to do the work that God has called them to do. They're going to be equipped to choose holiness and they're going to be equipped to forgive and they're going to be equipped uh, to to build godly families and they're going to be equipped to carry out God's will for their life. And they're also going to be equipped to understand grace when they mess up because it's in the scripture and that's part of the good work. On the negative side of saying this, where we don't do this, then there is no one equipped for the good work. Said another way, unless we train our children now, there are no future churches or revivals because there's no one to do the work. It's not true that every person who knows their Bible is spiritually mature, but everyone who is spiritually mature knows their Bible. You can't grow up in Christ apart from the word of Christ dwelling in you richly. And so it's effective. Lastly, it has to be countercultural. It has to be countercultural, friends. As Paul writes it here in verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. All scripture is inspired by God, or as I say it frequently, it's as relevant today as the day that it was written. It hasn't changed. It hasn't changed. And the fact that all scripture is inspired and that it is as relevant today as the day that it was written makes it strikingly countercultural, which means in all of the love and grace that is poured out into us, we must unashamedly stand for the truth that is in scripture, believing that yes, God did create. And yes, this book is still the best way to live every part of it. And it will be countercultural which is why we have the strength of church family around us, which is why we support and love each other. It's why we gather and remind each other, no, we hold on to this. We believe this. We follow and obey this. This It's always good when I try to practice what I preach, right? So the other day, Reagan came downstairs and she said, Daddy, can I, she says it this way, watch a show, which means watch a show. 
And that's how she likes to start off her morning. So I said, Reagan, how about we read the Bible first? Let's just take a second and read the Bible first. So I picked out her Bible, which is the Jesus Storybook Bible. We gave one to all of these. If you're looking for a Bible to get for a a, a child, uh, this is the one. And at the beginning, there's a beautiful intro. I think God knew I needed to be reminded of this. Because I believe that some of you probably grew up in a church foundation where you did learn the facts and the rules and the law, but you felt like it was disconnected from the heart. Now, on one hand, you can never replace those formative years of teaching the facts. On another hand, I believe there has to be a way to do both. So this says this. No, the Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of a bunch of heroes. No, the Bible is most of all a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. And as I read that, Reagan looked and she said, a hero, daddy? It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything to rescue the one he loves. It's like the most wonderful of fairy tales that has come true in real life. You see, the best thing about this story is it's true. There are lots of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story. The story of how God loves his children and came to rescue them. It takes the whole Bible to tell this story. And at the center of the story, there is a baby. And every story in the Bible whispers his name. He is like the missing piece in a puzzle. The piece that makes all the other puzzles or pieces fit together. And suddenly you can see a beautiful picture. And this is no ordinary baby. This is the child upon whom everything would depend. This is the child who would one day, oh, but wait. Our story starts where all good stories start. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he made us with purpose, with identity, to be in family his image and we messed it up and he sent his son to rescue us and we learn the facts and we memorize the verses to be reminded that the whole story points to how much he loves us about a year ago today this picture was taken I look at it just because it helps me remember. I was standing right here. I printed and I put that picture in my office because it reminds me of my responsibility as a father. That at least right now, as I do, Reagan will do. And when I raise my hands in worship, so too will Reagan. And when I start my day reading the Bible, so too will Reagan. And when something bad happens in my life and I'm wondering where God is and I'm hurt or I'm angry and I stop to pray, then so too will Reagan. And it also reminds me of my responsibility as a pastor. 
to remind you of the war of deception that is being fought to encourage you to not back down for a second from holding on to the truth of this book and to stand with us as we teach it. And if you ever wonder for a second, why do we serve and why do we give and why do we pray and fast and why do we unify around core doctrine and why do we surrender our rights around secondary and third level doctrines? That's why. That's why. Because when we see the spiritual picture with the same type of clarity that parts of the world are seeing the physical picture, then we know that it is not in these times where we are to split over petty differences or get caught up in false priorities, but it is time to unify, to stay focused, and to take it back at the enemy. I don't know about you, but when it comes to my kids, when it comes to the kids of this church, I got some fight left in me. I've got a lot of fight left, actually. So let's do this. And let's do it together. On your way out today, we bought one of these for every family in the church. All right? So grab one, whether you have kids or not, okay? Or if you're like just a you know, single person, like every like unit in the church. So everyone can grab one of these on your way out. Uh, if you need more, you can go to the website. They're 20 bucks a pop. And someone's like, how many did you guys buy? 150 times 20, that's $3,000. Like, that's crazy. Yeah, like there's a better thing we can do than helping us learn the Bible. That's why we do everything. We're just cutting out the middleman. Bad for job security, good for you guys, okay? So grab one, please. We're gonna start incorporating this into our teaching. We're gonna start um, bringing it up on Sundays. They're gonna bring it up in kids' ministry. We're gonna have trivia night, okay, uh, on, on Wednesday nights during our, our semester uh, of Wednesday night teaching. And it'll be based on this. And um, we're gonna have fun with it, but we're gonna, we're gonna learn our Bibles, y'all. We're gonna learn our, and we're gonna teach it to our kids. All right? Okay. So grab one of these on your way out. Um, additionally, just a few updates before you go. Uh, you guys probably, some of y'all probably noticed that the building looks significantly different this week than it did last week. Okay, we got a ton of painting done. I told you last week, man, I'll tell you what, maybe some of y'all saw my Facebook post. On Wednesday, I drove a half a mile in two different directions and it was raining. Okay, I talked to other people. It was like raining everywhere except for like right over the building. Okay, it was, I don't know if it was miraculous or we just got lucky. I'm gonna give God all the credit and we got so much painting done. So I wanna thank all the volunteers who stepped up and helped in a mighty way. Um, it's our week to serve down at Vision. And so uh, if you want to grab a tray on your way out to uh, help serve our friends down at Vision Church in South Toledo, you can do that. This Wednesday night is our official youth group launch. That's for 6th through 12th graders right here in the auditorium. And so youth group goes on every Wednesday night. We have semesters for adults and the kids. Uh, so this Wednesday night, be here, 6th through 12th graders. If you want someone to pray with you before you go, our elders would be up here. They'd love to pray with you. If you want to worship God with your giving, you can put cash or check in the box or give online at experienceredemption.com. Let's pray, and then we'll be out of here. God, thank you for the incredible privilege to partner with each other, to grow ourselves up in faith because mature people seek growth, and then to, as a church community, 
to raise up men and women, a generation that knows the scriptures and that brings it to the world. Starting at school, starting at the park, starting now. Continue to give us wisdom. Give us all of the team members and volunteers we need to run these ministries effectively, raise people up. Continue to unify us as a church as we march into the future. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You guys have a great week. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to take a next step with Redemption Church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com slash connect card. You can also give online to support the work of Redemption Church. To explore your giving options, visit experienceredemption.com slash give online. We hope that the message you heard today encouraged you. See you again soon.